0: Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Product-Led Podcast. Today, I am talking to Anna, and she is going to be talking about product-led sales, our favorite topic. (laughs) (laughs) How's it going, Anna? How are things with you?
1: So good. Thank you. I'm excited to be here. I'm a big fan of the podcast and the blog and everything you guys are doing. So um, I'm super excited to to finally be a guest.
0: Yeah. Thank you, for first of all, for people who are listening in. You got to watch... Anna's presentation for the product-led summit. I'll link it on the show notes, but you really did go through the nuts and bolts about product-led sales. But before we talk about that, you know, I just want people to, the listeners to get to know you a little bit better, like something a little bit more personal. Before all of this went down, what did you do for fun <laughs> with all this craziness. <laughs> is there anything, a hobby or or like a favorite vacation that you enjoyed that you could talk about and share to the listeners?
1: Yeah, I'm really lucky. And some of my favorite things to do are the things I got to keep doing during uh, this crazy pandemic, which was uh, spend a lot of time with my family. My kids and my husband were really close. So we got to spend a lot of time together the last uh, year, but we were always together anyway. I drink a lot of wine and the last year has been great for that hobby. And my Peloton is big one and it's also been a great year. So I'm really lucky. The things I miss though are traveling. I uh, miss my favorite cities and I love to spend time in New York and LA and I'm anxious to get back to traveling for sure.
0: Yeah, same here. I mean, somebody asked me this once when all of this is over, where would be the first place outside of the country you'd, you'd travel to?
1: Paris. Uh,
0: yep. yeah. <laughs> I've never been. So <laughs> yeah, I, that's like me and my wife, we want to go to Europe and just mm-hmm. go to UK, then Paris, and then Italy. Just check that out.
1: Yeah, nice. Definitely.
0: Well, thank you for jumping on this podcast. I know you're the partner at Arthur Ventures. Is your main focus with Arthur Ventures product led businesses or like what is your focus there?
1: Yeah. So Arthur Ventures is early growth stage capital for uh, B2B companies that are located outside of Silicon Valley. And I really should B2B software. Located outside of Silicon Valley, and so our companies are capital efficient, and inherently then that usually means uh in some way uh have a product led uh strategy. so we do focus a lot on product led growth and either adding sales into an existing product led organization or layering product led into sales led organizations yeah, so I spent a lot of time on this
0: That's good, so this is how this whole thing came about, and let's let's jump into that. let's talk about product led sales. One of the things that you talked about in that presentation is that people should be wary about the traditional SaaS inside sales model. I'm curious why you know it's it works like Salesforce. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the Aaron Ross uh, with predictable revenues like this. Here's B two bs process we use at, at Salesforce. Why should people be wary with this inside sales process right now?
1: Yeah, and it's not so much wary as it is not being prescriptive with it. And so you're right, Salesforce and um, Aaron Ross with Predictable Revenue. There is an absolute SaaS sales playbook. You all know it, right? It's like we got SDRs and they call and set appointments for AEs and we've got a standard set of measurements we look at and these things work. And I've run that playbook a million times. But the first time I stepped into a truly product-led organization, I was a COO at Linux Academy which was an Arthur Ventures company. So it was in the family and um, there was an incredible product market fit and I'm Credible product market product led strategy, and we needed to layer in sales. And what I realized right away is if we just came in and like applied that standard uh, playbook to it, that we'd really be inhibiting the product led side of things. Like we'd be forcing something that was very organic and buyer driven into some playbook and process that wasn't how they wanted to buy. So that's when I really realized you have to really understand what's happening with the customer and, and how they want to buy and how they're exploring and trying the product and how they're expanding from that use, and then layer in sales tactics. And some of that might be the standard playbook, and some of it might be really off script. And it's more just about understanding the growth dynamics of the company um, and how they're experiencing the product and expanding in it, and then figuring out how to put a model on top of that.
0: It makes a lot of sense. And I think, I guess you were starting to dig into that particularly, what does the role of the inside sales look like in a product-led organization? Like traditionally... I mean, it looks like reaching out to outbound and then calling them, sending emails, <laughs> asking them to do demos. It's totally shifted with product related. And what does that look like now in the companies that you've seen it work?
1: yeah I think there's that role of kind of inside sales it just shifts to different motions and being very specific about the motions um, and not just one one kind of thing where we call you know we call marketing, we call MQLs and we call you know sales generated leads. It's a little different. So one way is I like to have an inside sales motion against product led customers. For expansion opportunities and that could be cross-sell or upsell but you know what's really common in a product-led company is that let's say an ibm comes in and they buy six seats online and then they go into this big pool of you know self-service customers because they're only six seats and nobody's paying attention to them well, what if we call IBM and just start to develop a relationship, even though there are only six seats and we start to, you know, cr- kind of cross pollinate across the organization. And maybe it's not even about taking those six seats and making them 6,000, but maybe it's just about understanding the peers and the other departments that could utilize the product. So I'm a big fan of kind of a. Expansion motion with inside sales and doing that the right way. Um, it's really, really common to see those big fish that have bought a tiny little, you know, a couple of seats or starting on the starter tier and they just get lost in the shuffle of the self service machine. So putting a specific emotion on those is very, very helpful. The other thing is, you know, doing a true cold outbound, you can absolutely do that. But it's a little bit like pushing a boulder up a hill. And why would you need to do that? It's less efficient than capitalizing on the organic growth that you have. So one of the other things I like to do is think about a motion with inside sales that is more like sales assistant, right? So we don't send them into this traditional demo, eval, this, that, that. We just find out where they are in their process, like, and we meet them there. And so it's a very human centered process of, they might just be ready to buy, right? So they might be kind of coming in, Maybe they couldn't trial for some reason. Maybe they can't pay for with a you know a credit card. They need to talk to somebody to send a PO. So a lot of times you'll come into a product led company and you'll see there's there are customers falling through the cracks because there are these rules in place. Like if you're going to buy fifty seats or less, you have to go self service. Or if you're an enterprise, you have to go you know sales led and. I'm just not a big fan of those rules. I'm a big fan of like, meet the buyer where they are, right? So that might mean somebody's calling in and saying, where do I send my PO? Don't make them talk to a salesperson. Don't make them jump through hoops. Just tell them where to send the PO. <laughs> they're ready, you know? So that's that was a long-winded answer, but I think that that's really It's just not forcing these really strict lanes and rules around how customers can buy.
0: I really, really love that example. Like you said, you want to meet customers where they're at, which comes up like, traditional product-led businesses, they're looking to introduce sales for the first time. One of the fears is, oh my goodness, I don't want to annoy our leads. We're going to scare them away. You know, if we hire this one salesperson, he's going to scare them away because they're too pushy. The question I have for you around that is like, when is it like, when are that key moments in that customer journey you've seen when having that sales outreach, whether that's somebody raising up their hands or just through identifying key moments of the journey where it is a value add to have somebody do more of a high touch sales outreach?
1: That is such a good question because if it's done right, there's never a time that it's not valuable to make a connection with a customer. But if we're calling with a script, if we're calling robotically, if we're calling to see did your 10 seats you know, really mean that you're worth 100 seats to me transactionally, speaking we're not going to be successful at that so I think there's a lot of moments that we reach out in support of the customer journey, whether they're a potential high-value account and they're in a trial, or whether they're you know a few months in and you kind of see some usage slipping or whatever it may be. These are always moments to reach out. And part of that reach out might be building a relationship that then leads to retention and expansion. I think it's about how we train the sales reps to lead with empathy and understanding of the customer journey. And... Oftentimes, it's just reaching out and the customer is like, so glad you called. I need another (laughs) hundred seats. And it happens, you know, and it's just the way we reach out and do that for sure. I even think too, there's this idea of like, we just do the reach out to the high value accounts. And mm. that's from an efficiency perspective, I understand mm. that, but there is so much value of putting a human touch on even the small accounts and you can do it efficiently and it can really increase usage and it can increase retention and customer success, customers reaching their goals. So I think about taking, you know, a thousand self-service customers and figuring out how can I put a CS person on them so that they have a voice and a human person and a lot of, we don't do that a lot. We think, uh, you know, a a thousand self-service customers, they're tiny. Like, put them in the automation. Well, let's figure out how to do it at scale where they can still have some support if they need it. So, I think a lot about supporting the journey versus like selling.
0: Mm. Can you give an example of something you've seen where that does like, you're right, like, first instinct is like only send high uh, customer success or sales to people who have super high value versus like, you know, we're not going to send it to this, but you're making a good point that sometimes it is good. Like you're reaching out it ends up that there, it blows up and then it ends up expanding. Do you have Mm -hmm. like a a good example that you can think of where you've seen this happen where like a a support, like doing the high touch for even smaller accounts ended up becoming a boon?
1: Yeah. I mean, I can talk generally that Or in organizations where I've done that kind of motion, let's say a thousand, you know, customers get assigned to a CS rep and we figure out how to do automation and light touch and be there and, you know, see when they might need us. And through that kind of motion had much higher customer retention than a cohort company would or a peer company would, for example. So saying it's really easy to look at, well, these, because SMB, think about it, they churn at a much higher, you're always going to lose more. But I've seen best of breed SMB retention rates through applying emotion like that. So it absolutely works. It's just a matter of figuring out how do I do it efficiently and not just throwing bodies at it, uh, which may or may not work. So it's just really designing the program in an intelligent way.
0: That makes a lot of sense. And in terms of efficiency, like are you talking about automation? Like it's personal in a sense that when they reply, they actually reply to a person instead of like a no reply at company.com. Like <laughs> what are some examples of like, you know, making that motion more efficient so that it Doesn't scare away people.
1: Yeah. So, in one time, sometimes when I'm talking about efficiency, I'm talking about how do we make programs at scale? Like, what, you know, how do we kind of automate things, but have human intervention? And then the flip side of efficiency for me is the financial efficiency, right? Product led growth is financially efficient. We don't want to ruin it by throwing a bunch of bodies at it. So, there's the inherent kind of financial component to uh, product led efficiency. But I think on the sort of operationalizing, you know, how do you put a CS person on a thousand small accounts? It's about having tools in place to do that at scale. And, um, where they can't, they, the right things are bubbling up to them to intervene. Um, and that they're having their sort of right workflows that they can do that in a smart way. Kind of related, but also I think that again, when we get into these things at scale, a good example is I see a lot of times I'll come into a company. We'll be talking about, you know, where are some pockets of growth? And you'll see like customers coming into the support channel saying things like, where do I send my wire? or, you know, these things and they kind of just get stuck. They sit there because support doesn't do that kind of thing. And, you know, it gets sent to sales and sales doesn't have a motion, you know, they don't sell the two seats, that kind of thing. And there's a lot of times there's like a lot of revenue sitting there because we don't have this mentality of like no customer left behind because you'd say it's not efficient, right? It's not efficient to have a salesperson on a five seat account. Well, it's not, but you know, you can throw a sales assistant at that. That's not commissioned. That's just there to support those customers who want to buy. And it's really efficient and there's usually a lot of money sitting on the table for things like that. So I think it's just finding where can I do something that scales but do it in a really kind of human centered way.
0: That makes a lot of sense. I want to shift gears and talk about a few things that you mentioned in that presentation about building a team around expansion. Let's say a traditional product led organization has decided they want to do this, they want to do sales, where do they start? Like, what is, what would you suggest they do first? And what are some things that they should think about that they might not be thinking about right now?
1: Mm, that's a question for a whole book, probably. <laughs> 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 <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, so when we think about, we've got a pure product-led growth organization and we don't really have a sales motion. And we probably, if it's pure product-led growth, we probably don't have a formalized uh, customer success function either. We've got Support and that's it. So the first thing we think about is coming in and let's segment the customers. Let's just look at who are the most engaged customers, but also something called size of prize, right? Do we have an IBM sitting there with six seats, untapped potential? So we kind of segment out, let's, let's segment out our high value potential accounts with a high, big size of prize. Let's also look at those customers that are really, you know, using it and adopting it. And let's just call the, high value customers and say, how you doing? How are you liking it? you know, money. <laughs> And oftentimes that just starts to stimulate things. So I yeah. think it's putting a sales type of person against it, but it's more of a what I consider. It's always tricky, right? I think about like a true account manager that is responsible for growing and nurturing um, and developing a relationship. And that's the kind of person that typically will know how to do that. They know it's not just pick up the phone and say, Hey, IBM, do you want another 6,000 seats? Right. I mean, yeah. <laughs> I wish it were like that. So I think it's kind of designing first steps or like, let's just see if there's some high value stuff in here and let's just ha- open up c- conversations with those customers. It's also a lot of customer marketing, right? A lot of times product-led growth companies are not doing a lot of customer marketing. They might be doing a lot of product marketing. So just thinking right. about how to sort of start to develop those one-to-many relationships even with customers. So I think the first thing to do is get somebody who understands it, get somebody that understands I'm not just like a sales shark that's coming in to grow revenue because that's what they'll do, but um, that understands, you know, I want to develop relationships with high value potential accounts. So I'm a big fan of segmenting the customer base and really understanding. And that way I can know I've got, you know, 5,000 of these types of accounts, 500 of these. And I don't want to treat them differently, but I do put different motions against them, obviously.
0: Yeah, I like how you put that. Yeah, that's a great starting point. Would you consider that person uh, more of an account manager or customer success or is that?
1: I think you go with an account manager to start. Yeah. So I think customer success is great too. And it depends on if you're going to build a revenue-minded customer success organization or one that's not going to be responsible for revenue, which is the age-old question. And there's no right answer there. It's just really about, you know, what's the right team for you to build?
0: Mm. A related question to that is... When is the right time, and I'm sure it depends, right? <laughs> when is the right time to, you know, just based on your portfolio or things that you've seen, when is it a right time for a, like a purely product-led business to start thinking about adding more of like an like that account manager, customer success, revenue-minded customer success role? Is it a certain ARR or is it more of like they're starting to move up market and IBM is raising up their hands. Like, I I want that. Like, what would you say is the right time in generally, in generally for a purely product-led to start thinking about adding more sales-assisted motion?
1: Yeah. I don't think it's ever too early. I will say that Mm. because if you really get a product-led flywheel going, there are people out there that want to buy that you're not picking up in your net, right? um, And you do need to, to sort of come up with a sort of a support slash a sales assistant kind of way to capture them. So I don't think it's ever too early, but I think you hit the nail on the head of like, when you start to see well, big customers are buying this and they're never talking <laughs> to us, like, that's awesome. <laughs> you know. Right. Those are definitely moments. And I think that a lot of times you just start to, as a leader, you're in tune with your business and you just start to go, there's more there's a no more business here, right? If we put some motions again, like that IBM, if these four teams, you often see this, right? You see not just IBM came in for six seats, but you start to see, well, wait, there's seven different teams at IBM. They all have seven different accounts. Like, let's yeah. start to dig into what's going on there. And so those are other indicators as well. And I think this, um, you know, I mentioned this kind of like, it's never too early to have like a support slash sales assistant. It's, I'm very intrigued by more companies having this idea that support is almost like full stack, that Mm. they are support, they are CS, they are closing business when business comes in through that channel and just empowering support Mm. across the whole customer experience and not being so linear in a a lane. We actually have a portfolio company that it does this extraordinarily well. And it's, they're doing it at scale. They don't have CS people and they don't have salespeople and they are very product led and they have incredible retention and incredible expansion. And they have empowered their support organization to be a customer experience organization. And it's really cool to watch.
0: Well, remind me to talk to that company and see if they <laughs> they want to get on the podcast.
1: I could probably make an intro there, yes. <laughs> I'm sure. Like,
0: I'm, I, This is a great opportunity. If there's anybody that you think in your portfolio that would love to be on the podcast, we can make that happen. So another big sticking point, and this is something you talked about in the presentation, is about sales compensation. Yeah. Uh, the, that's the big gorilla. Like everybody's, <laughs> how do I compensate? Like this, like, should I give out some commission or should be purely just no zero commission? What are your thoughts around that? And what what have you seen?
1: It's a really good question. And before I tell you what I think, I will tell you that I am born and bred sales. Like I've always led sales organizations. I'm a salesperson through and through. So I say what I'm about to say with love. I don't believe that we should be compensating sales for customers that the product delivers. Part of the reason i don't believe that is that it's not efficient, right? The Mm. the work has gone into the product and the marketing machine behind the product as well. And sometimes when you come into a truly product-led organization that's added in some salespeople, what you find, and nothing against salespeople because they're my my children, my love, but a lot of times what you'll see when a product-led company has introduced sales is you see order takers. And nobody Mm. is catching it. And it's one call closes. You know, it's really super fast sales cycles. It's low contract value, right? They're just coming in and like signing up on the basic tier. And that's not fair to the company. And that is not fair to the sales profession because sales is a wonderful and very noble profession. Everything starts with a customer and we wouldn't have that without sales, but it's not a sales professional, right? So what I think about with commission is, commissioning expansion that is is sales-driven heavily, right? Like, so there's expansion that happens in the product organically and you don't need to commission that. But when you have a salesperson going hard after, you know, centralized buying at IBM to roll up an account and have the company choosing you, not just the users, that needs to be rewarded with commission. So, and then if you're doing cold outbound too, if you're saying, hey, here's a hundred target accounts that are our dream customers and they're not using the product yet, go get them. That needs to be rewarded really well. I just don't think we should be commissioning one call closes, and that's a lot in product
0: led growth. Interesting, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. And I might be getting into the weeds here, but like, what would that compensation like? Would it be a, like how much would be a, a fair <laughs> percentage yeah. of commission? And let's say it's purely they worked hard to get that one big whale, <laughs> that huge <laughs> customer, and then or maybe they work hard to roll up in like we've been talking about IBM, but they've they went from seven teams there to 50 teams. <laughs> like mm-hmm. what would be like a fair compensation you see or would like just even arrange so yeah. people would have an idea?
1: Yeah, so, so if you're talking about a sale, cold sales, where you're saying to somebody, there's a hundred people, a hundred target accounts, dream accounts. They're not using the product yet. Go get them. I think you're going to talk about standard sales commission, right? And meaning 50% base, 50% variable. And that OTE for a salesperson is usually going to be 20% of what they're bringing in. So let's say you have sell a million dollars. That means you should be OTE at $200,000, meaning $100,000 base, $100,000 commission. And that's just, you know, sometimes you'll see a really funded, you know, Silicon Valley unicorn that's paying 30% and a bootstrapped capital efficient, you know, company that's uh, just really just being funded completely bootstrapped. You might see it down at 15%, but like kind of standard is a salesperson's going to make 20% of whatever they're, you know, they're bringing in and that's going to be 50% base, 50% commission. On the expansion side, it sometimes goes like that and companies will just straight up do it, the same kind of thing. I typically will design it with a well paid, so good base account manager and bonus opportunity for hitting certain retention, gross and net retention with their accounts. So that I'm incentivizing the growth and they're being paid in a sales type of way, but it's not strictly just like straight up commission and both work. You you can put a salesperson on it on expansion and commission them that same way as cold, or you can do it more like the account manager style, which is a higher base usually and more on like gross and net.
0: Thank you. I'm not sales background so that <laughs> that was like very very insightful we haven't had a lot of like somebody with a sales background explain that so I, I'm sure a lot of product led folks who are listening in would be like oh man that's very very insightful
1: that's awesome yeah it's math I know there's so much about it. sales <laughs> is definitely an art but there's a lot of math too
0: <laughs> that's super cool one other thing that you talked about in that presentation uh, just shifting gears is the role of the SDR mm-hmm. <laughs> particularly SDRs. They're grinding away on the phone. They have like call logs. They have like they have to hit an X number of calls in a day. Does that role go away in a product led organization? Or does it fit into what you were talking about, that outbound motion that a product led uh, organization might have?
1: Yeah, I think that's a good question. I think it's kind of the same. It doesn't need to go away, but you also don't need to throw a bunch of SDRs at opening ops for AEs that are taking one call closes either. So it kind of goes to, let's create motions for all the different lanes. And one is cold, right? If we do have these target accounts, let's put an SDR motion on them to, to open up the door and book qualified appointments for AEs. And that is not product-led though, right? That is just straight up classic SaaS sales playbook stuff. And you can sprinkle in a little product-led funnel, but it's still at the end of the day, it's it's a sales motion in the classic sense. And then there is behind MQLs, right? So having SDRs on MQLs and you might have a product-led funnel, which is different than product-led growth to us and where you have SDRs against that motion. And that, that can make sense. And, but that's, again, classic SaaS playbook stuff. And then there is this kind of more customer development. This is what I love. This is like an SD motion on a customer development, right? So you say, you give the list, list to the SDs that are those IBMs four accounts, right? Four seats, IBM, and you just... Or, hey, IBM's got five different accounts here. And you put them in a motion to call and say, hey, how's it going? Do you know any team members right? that should be joining you? And you do have a kind of a sales conversation, but they can open up a lot of opportunity. The other thing that's kind of related, I should not miss this one because this is a big one. A lot of product-led companies start with one. They don't even start with six seats from IBM. They start with one... Person who signed up with their Gmail account, who's really an IBM employee. And that's where it really starts. So you can put an SD motion against that. Hey, Bob. saw you're using it. That's awesome. Do you have any colleagues that should, are using it? Do you want me to introduce this to your manager? Like I'm happy to do it. And you would be shocked at how many individual users of a product will give you referrals into the business. If they're loving it and they're using it, they're probably spreading the word too. So to have you call and say, can I help you spread the word? Nobody gets mad at that. People like it. (laughs) (laughs) So true. Yeah. So
0: true. Yeah, that's very insightful. That's not something that I think i about as well. You said something there that I have to jump on. You said that product-led funnel is not the same as product-led growth for you. So yeah. can you can you talk a little bit about that? What do you mean? Like, what does that mean for our 2 ventures
1: Yeah. So one of the things is we take a pretty purest view of product-led growth. And that is that somebody can discover, explore, try and buy without ever talking to a human period. Like for it to be pure classic product-led growth, no humans involved. And they can expand too, right? So they're renewing, expanding, trying, buying, all of that stuff. Well, this was actually a, one of our partners, Pat Meenan coined the phrase, or he threw out the phrase product-led funnel once I was talking about one of the companies and their product-led growth. And he said, that's not product-led growth. That's a product-led funnel. And it was like a light bulb moment. And so We think a lot about that because we're just as excited about product led funnel as we are about product led growth. And that is even if you can't try it, buy it, expand, renew without a human, creating a buyer ready lead, right? Somebody who is coming into the funnel. More ready to buy than they would be otherwise. So there are these kind of attributes we look like that we look for. You know, you can see it in a decreasing sales cycle. You can see it in increasing organic demand. You can even see it in sort of like um, organic reactive expansion coming in. So there's a lot of attributes of a product-led funnel that are just as exciting, you know, that as product-led growth. And that's where you have probably you probably have like a a sales-led organization and you've been getting the product ready to be more product-led. You've been Mm. doing these things. So you start to move towards product-led even though you've got that sales-led DNA.
0: So correct me if I'm on my magic product-led funnel. would be They sign up for, there's a free trial, they sign in and then they would need to talk to sales to actually purchase. Is that what you envisioning as a product?
1: Yeah, or maybe they don't even, maybe you don't have a free trial. Like think about the number of companies. And well, you know this, right? Like, To be truly product led, you have to start day one like that. Mm. Like you can't, it's so hard to to retrofit it, right? So what you think about is how can I fake it until I make it? I don't I Mm. can't offer a free trial, let's say I don't have pricing for everybody. You know, Mm. how do I kind of get the customer to be intimate with my product and want it and be ready to buy it? before they actually get into it. And there's a lot of ways to fake it till you make it. One of the big ones is just social proof and customer advocacy. The more G2 crowd ratings you have and all of that stuff, that is helping you create a product led funnel even when people can't do a free trial. Doing things like well obviously a lot of product content helps, product demos, product, you know, all of that stuff, but also pricing on your site. How So many companies still don't have pricing on their site for a variety of reasons. And you got to get away from that. You've got to do it. Ideally having a no brainer, no risk, you know, pricing tier. So even if you can't be truly product led, you've got to find ways to get your buyer more intimate with your product. And that's how you, and then they come in and they're, they're ready to buy, or they're almost ready to buy.
0: I love that. That's a very interesting perspective. Which I think you can write another book about. (laughs) It's a lot of book a lot of talking about book here. It's not something that a lot of people think and talk about because traditionally when people think about PLG, it's they're talking about the pure PLG, not more of this hybrid product led funnel that you're talking about. Thanks for sharing that.
1: Yeah, I just how many slacks are there? How many drop boxes are there? Right. Like th- these are very special cases. And more and more we're going to see companies that are built like that. But in the meantime, if we only talk about the pure sense of the word, we're leaving a lot of great products out of the mix, you know? Yeah. So you guys publish it and I'll write both books.
0: <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. We're, we'll we'll be ready to publish it if uh, <laughs> if you write it. But it's really funny. I want to start wrapping up. We've talked a lot about different things around product led sales or hybrid sales-assisted. As we wrap up, if you can give one or two pieces of advice to the people who are listening in right now, they could be product folks, they can be, we might have some customer success folks, but they're fans of product-led growth. What would be your one or two pieces of advice you'd like to give? And it could be based on what we talked about right now, or it could be something that we haven't talked about at all.
1: I have a couple. One is Adopt a mantra, no customer left behind and no lead left behind. And just point blank, that is your North Star. And so to go one click deeper on that is, I'd say, take a moment to reevaluate your your rules and your processes about how customers can buy and be willing to open your mind to rethink them. Why does somebody who wants to buy 10 seats have to go online and can't talk to a salesperson? You know, why does somebody who wants 75 seats have to go talk to a salesperson and can't buy online? Just look at how you're trying to prescribe customers to buy and challenge yourself to think differently and see if there's some other opportunity.
0: I love that. And just to wrap things up now, where can people find out more about you? Do you want them... And to add you on LinkedIn or Twitter or, and also as well, if people wanted to know more about Arthur Ventures, where can people find out more about that?
1: Sure. ArthurVentures.com. And the best place to find me is Twitter at Anna Tallarico or LinkedIn's always good too. I'm always happy to connect with people to talk about this. It's one of my favorite subjects.
0: Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Anna. I appreciate your time.
1: Thanks for having me, Romley.